This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 298, College Knowledge with Dave Kozak and Joe Karens. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey guys, what is even better than a five-star review on this podcast? Well, it's actually sharing it with a friend. More people find podcasts because friends recommend it than any other way. So hit that share button in your podcast app and send this episode to a friend right now. Let us know you did, and we'll send you a copy of our favorite book free of charge. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode. Hey, have you ever bought something and then realized you overpaid for it. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Maybe it was a big trip you went on, or maybe it was a recent home repair, or maybe your favorite deli put their chicken salad sandwich on sale the very next day after you bought it. Maybe too specific, maybe, maybe. Asking for a friend. Whatever the case may be, I get that twinge of disappointment and even anger whenever I know I overpaid for something. Like somehow the universe was conspiring to pull the rug out from under me. If only I could have checked my chicken salad sandwich coach who keeps his ear to the ground on prices for chicken, for mayonnaise, grapes, celery, all that. Maybe he could have anticipated that deep discount and kept me from overpaying today. Little pity, I'm sure, from all of you listening. So what, Mark? It's just a chicken salad sandwich. Well, I might agree with you, of course. But what about something more significant? like paying for college. If you knew that you had spent twice as much going to a school because you didn't look it up, you didn't work with a coach, how would that make you feel? A college degree is a lot more expensive than a chicken salad sandwich. Or what if you had a couple of kids aiming for college? If you knew you could find a way to cut your prices and cost of college dramatically, when would you want to know about it? And when would you want to get started on a strategy that could help your kid get into the best possible school for as little money as possible? In this podcast episode, we're going to be diving deep into the world of college planning and financial advice for students and families. We'll be discussing the importance of considering the financial burden that student loans carry and choosing a college that aligns with your specific family goals. We're also going to be talking about the limitations of guidance counselors at your high school in providing financial advice. And we'll suggest seeking outside resources like our two guests today. Dave founded Elite Collegiate Planning in 2014 to provide financial education, admissions advice, and college funding plans. Dave went on to partner with like-minded professionals in 2018 to form Paradigm Financial Group, Incorporated, combining their knowledge base and increasing their ability to meet the demand for their services. In 2020, Dave and his team acquired the nation's premier provider, of college admissions and financial aid services, the College Planning Network. And I've had the great privilege of working with Dave and the whole team at College Planning Network now for several years. And now they're expanding their reach across the United States and adding financial aid, filing services, and educational counseling to their repertoire. Now, Joe, our other guest today, is a certified college planning specialist 
a financial planner, and a senior planner at Paradigm Financial Group. Joe's focus is on helping families pay for college without destroying their overall wealth. And many families don't even realize that college is not just a college problem, but it's a wealth and retirement problem. Joe works with these families to create unique plans with proper strategies to save and pay for college without sacrificing financial freedom and achieving all of their financial goals. As hosts of the College Knowledge Podcast, great show by the way, and founders of Elite Collegiate Planning, Dave and Joe will be sharing in this episode today their expertise, their resources for college planning and financial advice. They'll also get into strategies beyond college planning, such as wealth transfer and even legacy creation. Guys, I was blown away with the challenges of college planning and saving for families. And I learned just how important it is to use strategic planning and critical thinking skills when it comes to college education. You got to think outside the box. We'll also be discussing how college may not even be necessary for certain kids and certain career paths and how you plan for the non-college path as well. So it's so easy to squander wealth when it comes to those big financial decisions like college. You know, we can scrimp and save on grocery bills, skip those lattes. It will not matter as much to your financial success as could the single decision of sending your kid to the wrong college or forgetting to fill out that college aid paperwork in the best way possible. So both Dave and Joe are huge fans of Bank on Yourself. So we're going to talk about how we use this little known variation of whole life insurance in the college funding process. What does life insurance have to do with college planning? Well, if you're not sure, you're about to find out. You'll learn why non-direct recognition loans are crucial when it comes to using the policy for college planning and how using whole life insurance policies for college planning can help avoid paying high amounts in cost to the financial aid office. Finally, stick around to the end. We're going to talk about what's wrong with the 529 plans, which is the most common way to save for kids' college the 529 plan, and other college-saving methods. I was literally left speechless when I heard exactly what the difference would be in cost for college between two identical kids. One had a 529 plan, and the other had their money tucked away in a whole life policy. You're going to be shocked when you hear about this. So I won't make you wait any longer. Take it away, Joe and Dave. Joe and Dave, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having us. Looking forward to it. Glad to have you. All right. So the college landscape is not exactly, you know, just a barrel full of monkeys for most families. They don't just want to get in to the college landscape, the preparing for college, the saving for college. Somebody jokingly said, when do you start saving for your kid's college? Well, it's when you get the test results. And that's, of course, the pregnancy test. So you know, there's there's maybe in many families nothing more taboo than thinking about the the problem of and the burden of saving for this thing that many people are starting to realize may not have as much value as we originally thought. You know, 20 years ago, this thing called college actually meant something. These days, I just got off the phone with a client who said, you know, Mark, I'm seeing the price go up and the value come down for a college degree, and he's got a 10-year-old. So my mm-hmm. question hard-hitting question is, are you guys about to be out of a job? I would say that the job is harder. And the reason it's harder is because you have to be more strategic now than you ever have, right? A long time ago, D was for diploma and the piece of paper was all that mattered and it was the launch point. 
in the college ecosystem, whether it be the financial side, whether it be the admission side, the idea is you have to know more about yourself now than ever to determine if it is an actual investment that has a return, right? For a large subset of people, they've been, you know, kind of predispositioned their entire life that college is the next step. And the reality for a lot of people is you can make a lot more money elsewhere. I will add to that, that I have never met somebody who got some core business subject matter under their belt that it didn't help them, right? So I, agree. I, would, I would say that, you know, hey, if a two-year degree or a, even if you're just taking some classes on accounting and business management practices like that and you want to be an entrepreneur, great. I don't think you necessarily have to go through a four-year MBA and et cetera. But I think the short answer, Joe, is that you just have to be more more tactical now than you ever, ha ever have been, which I think makes us more important. Yeah. And the one thing we always like to look at is you have to focus with the end in mind. What is it that you're trying to do? What is the dream job that you want to land? And does that require a college education or not? I think that ultimately, you know, as a parent, I have three kids. Dave's got four. I want the best for my kids. I want them to be enter adulthood with a career that they know that they can enjoy. We always joke and say, you know, work is work, but it's easier to do the job when you enjoy what you're doing every day. And there's certain professions that you need to go to college for. College is not a fit for everyone, without a doubt. But if that's the pathway that your kids are going to go, there's a a big amount of planning that needs to be done properly to execute what you need for your kids. So it's, uh, it's getting, it's gotten even more complicated, this whole system, uh, than when I started doing this in this specific college planning about five years ago. And I think it's just going to get even more complex every year. So yeah, I, I think our, I think our job security is still there. I, I think that was a great answer. And thank you guys for being willing to let me throw you on your heels right at the beginning. I did want to jump there because so many folks I talk with are instantly saying things like, Hey, Mark, this college thing doesn't look like it's a good fit uh, for my kids. Or who knows what college will even mean in the future? Or, hey, won't they just forgive all the debt anyway? I mean, mm -hmm. all these sorts of um, questions are spiraling around the college planning issue. And you brought it up so well. You have to be more tactical. You have to be more strategic. You can't just go to ABC State anymore and expect to have a real, real education. But uh, Dave, you said it also best that, yeah, if you have, if you have the critical skills thinking skills. And if you have a, a solid knowledge base, whether you're learning about geology or English, if you go through that degree and you really apply yourself, you'll be better off for it. I want to hear about you guys. How did you get started in this business? How did this become your raison d'etre? You know, how did you choose college planning as a, as a niche in the financial planning space? So I'll give my short version because the long one is long. <laughs> the bottom line was I was I was a property and casualty insurance agent and I was bored out of my mind helping people with their auto and home insurance. And in the process of setting up my own agency and kind of moving in, I was forced to get financial licenses. And then they want you, once you have the licenses, to sell those products. And I realized that I was in shark infested waters and the overall industry and finance was just there's a lot of bad eggs in the financial world. They just exist. They're, they learn the one trick that makes them the most money and they repeat that trick no matter what it is. Everybody's a nail and they're a hammer and they're just going to do it. And I never wanted to be, 
I never wanted that. Never wanted to be considered that. I never wanted to be in competition with that. And so when I started to research niche practices that you can get into, the college planning environment came up and I reflected back on my own college. I went to Franklin Marshall in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's an excellent school. It was a pain in the butt, but I played baseball. I was in a fraternity. I had the quintessential college experience. I loved every second of being there. And I'm going, okay, well, if I can help people get to their ideal fit college and I can make money at it, sounds like a great thing. Then I started digging the financial side and you realize that it's legitimately the largest pure expense that most families will face, right? You could talk about a house. Yeah, your mortgage, it's a big deal. But over time, you're going to pay that thing off. It's going to appreciate. You're going to have money as a result of it. Yeah, you may have to die or sell it to get the money out of it. But the reality is you're building something there. College, you you get in a car and you drive it off a cliff without insurance every single year, right? You're talking about 50 grand, 70 grand, 35,000. It's a lot of money for people. And if you make mistakes at that point, you're absolutely affecting retirement. So now, not only am I helping a kid create their future dream, but I'm helping multiple generations of the same household not squander wealth. Well, that's a noble cause I can get behind. So there you go. That was my segue in. And I, I started and never looked back. Yeah, my story, it's uh, similar but different. I was in, I became an advisor. Uh, it was about five years into my career that, you know, I was constantly told at that time from my managers, hey, tell your clients that you can borrow for college. You can't borrow for retirement. So put your money in retirement. Little did I know at the time meant we don't know how to properly plan for college. So just avoid it. That's what that meant. But I had a client who I met with and they asked me if I could help them fill out the FAFSA. And I said, sure. And at the time I had never looked at it. And what is the FAFSA for those that might not know? Just quickly. Yes, the free application for federal student aid. It's essentially the financial aid form that if you're going to college, you need to fill it out. And I got into this and I'm one of those people that if there's something I don't know and I want to know about it, I will spend every free minute studying it. I got into the FAFSA and into the college process and realized there was so much that not only did I not know but what I was telling my clients at that time was exactly the wrong thing that they should be doing for college and was actually causing them to pay more for college than less. So once I got that little bit, you know, that nibble of realizing there's a lot to this I don't know, uh, I found the National Institute for Certified College Planners, studied, passed tests, got professionally designated as a certified college planning specialist, and then went around my office and figured somebody's got to know some of these pieces, like the most basic of terms, went around to 65 advisors, not one person knew the answer. And I said, okay, there's, there's something here. The fact that everyone doesn't know this and we all call ourselves advisors, there's, there's something wrong with this industry. So at that point, I was ready to open my own college firm just because I, it, it was different and it was people were doing things the wrong way. I happened to fall upon a presentation that was being done by Elite Collegiate Planning. And and that was four, four and a half years ago. Yep. Yeah. It was like, God, time flies. Uh, and best decision I've ever made in my life. It's It's been fantastic ever since. So that's, that's my quick cool. story. That's great. Well, it's a very unique niche in the financial planning space to get into college planning. You know, you don't see many financial professionals in that space as a primary. What's the problem with traditional college financial planning. And 
what all do you guys do with couples or families that come through your doors? If I put money into an investment and the investment loses money, how much money do I have to spend on college, right? So the reality here is the 529 is a market-based investment on 50% of them, and it's an institutional credit-based investment on the other 50%, right? And so in the market-based investment, you suffer the same volatility that everybody else suffers, right? So the question for most families right off the bat is, are you saving for college or are you investing for college? Investment comes with the risk of loss. Are you okay mm-hmm. losing the money if you gain it? Most people, no, I want to save for college. Okay, so let's park that as a as a side. The other piece is that most people don't realize that most of your investing, even savings, counts against you as you go to pay for college. So now you've grown $100,000 in a 529 and you've done, you've got three kids and you've got, let's say, 33000 in each. That first kid goes, you have to disclose $100,000 in assets. That drives up your cost of attendance at that school by roughly $6,000 a year per kid. So Mm. that single investment just increased your out-of-pocket expense by about $25,000 per kid. Wow. So now we start getting into the nuance of college selection. And the reason, you know, I was a financial advisor and then going, okay, well, this isn't just a financial problem, right? It's an academic and, and right fit problem for the student. And so we go back to the comment Joe made, right? If you want to be a teacher, love it. Be a teacher but you don't need to invest $250,000 to be a teacher, right? You can invest $100,000 and maybe even less, but school selection is paramount. And it's the intersection between financial planning and school selection that makes you win at this game. The other piece of that is we're college planning specialists, but we know retirement. You have to, because one of the errors that people make is, is, oh, I'm, I'm going to take money out of my 401k, or I've been saving in a Roth, and I know you can use that for college, so I'm going to pull the money out of the Roth. What they don't realize is the opportunity cost of the choices they make. Yeah, I think that the biggest downfall of the traditional planning is the not truly understanding how financial aid works. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's there are so many myths that go around that. But well, I think only the, poor people get financial aid, Joe. Yeah, I know. So that was a joke. Sorry. That's, that's one of the true. myths, that, right? That is one I, of the I, huge I, absolutely, myths. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big proponent of non-direct recognition, participating whole life insurance as a college funding mechanism. I say that and I want to clarify, it has to be built the right way. It has yeah. to be built with massive cash liquidity up front so that you have access to the capital and you can use it, right? It is not your traditional life insurance product. It is not built in a traditional sense. It is, I always say to explain it to people, you can build life insurance in two ways when you're using the right product. You can build it for death benefit or you can build it for cash value. We build our products for cash value so that they have access to capital. The beauty of that is the capital that they have access to does not count against them in the financial aid formulas. So, and I wanna, I wanna define financial aid while we're at it. Financial aid is any money that is given to a student to make college more affordable need-based, merit-based, private's got all financial aid. It's all one big bucket of financial aid. So you'll hear people say, well, financial aid is just loans. Hey, that's false. It is not just loans. It's, it's all the kinds of money. But in order for us to build a plan, like you can't just say, hey, you need to buy life insurance. That's not a college plan, right? Because at the end of this, you have to fund an education. And so If I'm going to shelter a large amount of money from the financial aid formula, I can't have it not be accessible. You've got to be able to get to it, right? 
So the first is, okay, well, how much money are we talking about spending on college? So we have to get people to a point where they realize, hey, I need $45,000 a year. Let's just say that's the, the, what the numbers indicate. Well, I have to create that from somewhere else. I have to use that. I have to find that money. You can't just make it up. The biggest component of college planning is actually having the idea of where the money is going to come from before you get there. Right. So in using those non-direct recognition, participating whole life insurance contracts, we're building high net cash value early so that we can pull money out that we didn't have to disclose. And that's one of the big secrets in the game. And you'll hear all kinds of people, oh, life insurance, blah, blah, blah. Mark, we know the reality. Well, right? and we we call this uh for those who are regular listeners of our show, the the mouthful non-direct recognition participating whole life insurance contracts, aka bank on yourself designed bingo life insurance. But uh, to your point, why does it need to be non-direct recognition? Why is that important of all things? The, the bottom line is we're using this vehicle and, and you have the ability in a non-direct recognition policy to borrow money out. And when you do that, the company doesn't directly recognize that money as having left the policy. When that happens, you still earn the dividend. That would be the participating part. So the dividend pays into the policy. The money borrowed is charged at interest, but there's a very nice offset that occurs. And when you take the money out, it gives you the ability to put the money back in and over time rebuild that cash value. And, and it's kind of the velocity of money concept. You get to use it more than one time, right? And so we're sheltering it, A. We're getting gains on the money that we're using at the same time, right? Now, the one caution I'll put to that is, you got to work with someone that understands it because the I have I have undone policies that are just they're collapsing they're going the wrong way. There was a big push to use uh, IULs in this marketplace and they fail. They fail at some point and they fail and what happens is they implode on themselves. And when they implode on themselves, you've lost your money and your death benefit. Right. So yeah. the non-direct recognition is a, is a huge part of it because in a direct recognition policy, if you borrow the money out, your cash value is is diminished. When your cash value is diminished, your dividend is also diminished. So in this case, the the cash value is not diminished. The dividend pays as though the money is in the policy, and you're basically, you know, I would argue, net net maybe one percent swing on on the interest you pay. But when you put it all back in, guess what? That's all gone. And you get all of the uninterrupted compound growth from the day you took the first dollar out to when you put the last dollar back in. So you don't sacrifice your future retirement to take care of Jimmy and Susie's college today. Correct. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to add to that too, Mark, because it's, it's an interesting way and, and age that people fall into college planning, right? When you're talking about you're sending your kids to college, most people are between the ages of, of 50 and 60, right? And if you're done using your policy when you're 55, you're probably also at your highest income earning years. Now you have nobody on the payroll, you're living scot-free, and you have the ability to repay that stuff back at a far more rapid rate and do the same thing all over again for retirement. But the best part about the retirement piece is you don't have to put the money back in if you don't want to. right? If you're using it as a, as a retirement spend down, it's going to come off of the death benefit. Your collateral is the death benefit. So you can ultimately use it for college, refund it, have a place to park your money to get actual reliable gains, use it all over again in retirement. And if you don't, guess what? You just avoided having to pay any, any type of tax on that money as it transfers direct to beneficiary. So Joe, let's say you have your kiddos going to the same school my kid goes to. And let's say that you followed Dave's advice and you packed up just a 
bunch of money into one of these high cash value bank on yourself designed whole life insurance policies. Your money is off the radar, the financial aid formulas, and you're about to use this money as part of your spending strategy for college. And let's say you've got half a million dollars packed away in these policies. Mm -hmm. Let's say I've been able to manage to pack away a bunch of money. Let's say it's the same amount, 500 grand in some savings accounts and some 529 plans. And I've got my kid going, I'm right behind you in line for financial aid. Which of us gets the financial aid? Give me some real numbers if you can, or ballpark figures is fine. I've got the same amount on my net worth sheet as you've got off the balance sheet for financial aid. What's the difference? What? Why does any of this matter for financial aid? Well, there's income involved in there too. So we got to be making the same amount. Every plan's unique. No two plans are ever exactly alike. But in those rare instances that if, let's say both our kids are going to University of Pennsylvania, we make the same income. What do you want to say? 150? Yeah, sure. 150,000. Uh, if I have 500,000 that is set aside and you have 500,000 that is seen, my bill per child will probably be around $30,000 a year, where yours will end up being around 60. Oh is my right? goodness. Really? Yeah. 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 I mean, you're talking, you're talking 6,000 per 100,000. Yeah. Right. So wow. you got 500,000, that's 30 grand you would pay in premium to go to that school. I would overpay double the price to go to the same college with all the same facts and figures, but my my money is on the target, the radar screen, and, and yours that's was per off the year radar screen. per child, by the wow. way. Wow. That's, yeah. Yeah, more, so that's a lot more than I thought. That's a big that's 120k over a course of an education right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, that is that is at least a couple of Teslas right there. So mm-hmm. um no doubt. So that that I think, if nothing else, tells our listeners why your work that you guys do is so valuable and so important. Now, that's not all you do. You don't just tell us where to put the money. You don't just uh, set up life insurance. You're also helping folks lower the cost of college too. If I'm if I'm correct, what what does that involve? Like, what sort of activities can kids and and parents do? How do you guys help on the front end to to lower that sticker price? Once once we've worked on the um, the getting money in off the radar, what can you do to help us on the front end? There's two ways that I always look at this. So the first is we always talk about college choice, right? Let's use that same scenario where Mark and Joe both have half a million and they're making 150 and their student is excellent. Their student really, really deserves to go to an Ivy League school. Let's say that you value an Ivy League school. And I said, hey, listen, what if I told you it wasn't the school that made the success, right? What if it wasn't the school that made the career? And I said, and, and your goal was to get to law school or graduate school or to, you know, you, you saw this child going all the way. And this is not every scenario, but let's say this scenario. And I looked at a school that was equally as difficult to get into, but also gave merit-based dollars. And I said, you know, if we pitch you over here, your net cost would be 20 grand. And if you go to the University of Pennsylvania, it'd be 60 grand. Are you telling me that the education you would get at the University of Pennsylvania is worth $40,000 premium per year? We talk about the social, academic, and financial fit college, right? That's the key. You want to find that college. And what most people do, and I'll let Joe talk about the love affair, is most people, they visit one college, they buy the sweatshirt, they wear the sweatshirt, they're going to go to that school regardless of price. And I'll tell you a story. I had a client, out-of-pocket cost to go to 
a regional school, small regional, but a very good school was going to be $13,000. This student, some reason, somehow decided that the University of Maryland was the absolute pinnacle for them. I still don't understand it to this day. She took on $216,000 worth of debt to go to University of Maryland rather than wow. paying cash for $13,000. Because University of Maryland, for an out-of-state student, this was a Pennsylvania resident, was $54,000 a year. I, you can't, I can't help that. Right? Mm-hmm. But I got her the $13,000 price tag that her mom was able to afford. It was a single mother. And that student chose a very tough path. So yeah, school choice is huge. Yeah, the big mistake that happens is students will fall in love with a school before they know if the school is falling in love with them. You have to wait, right? You don't truly know if a school is a financial fit until after you get those award letters. You, you have to wait. You can't say we're going to the school no matter what. You have to wait to see what the, what the cost is actually going to be. And if you have the opportunity to leverage one school against another guess what? Schools will compete. And if they really want you, they'll bring more money to the table. So, so I help families understand what is really the award and what does it actually mean? How much does the school truly love that student? And then, hey, they really love them. Can we get a couple extra bucks out of them here? Wow. Well, okay, guys, we got to wrap up today. But as you guys can all hear, the Not Your Average Revolutionaries listening to this podcast, you guys are getting a fire hose of quality information and ideas and life-changing application too. So tell us your podcast and if folks want to reach out to you and uh, maybe talk to you some about their college situation, where can they find you? Sure. So the the first, our our podcast, which is a labor of love, is called College Knowledge. Uh, and you can go to collegeknowledge.net and we talk about all things higher ed, money, you name it. It's It's all based on trying to Feel back to layers of the onion to the listening audience. Like, what do you need to know about admissions? What do you need to know about this stuff? We interview all kinds of officials at schools, financial advisors across the country. It's a, it's a pretty solid one. And then if you're uh, headed into the college environment, the admissions and the financial college, college financial planning, go to EliteCollegiatePlanning.com and you can read the story and see what we're all about right there. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank yeah, you, thank Mark. You it was awesome, us, Mark. Thanks. Good Thanks, to see Mark. you guys. Bye. Wow, another great episode. Thank you so much, Dave and Joe, for coming on the show. As we wrap up, a couple of very quick takeaways that I took from the episode. First, Section 529 plans, they offer a great opportunity to pay for college, but they can also cover K-12 through tuition and even student loan repayments. Not many people know that. The most popular type of 529 plans are college savings plans, of course, and you put in after-tax contributions that are invested in you know, your typical mutual funds or ETFs, The earnings would grow tax-free and you can withdraw the account out tax-free as long as you use it for qualified educational expenses. And you'll also be able to take a state tax deduction for at least part of your contribution, so there's that benefit too. However, sometimes parents wind up not using the entire 529 account balance because maybe the kid got a scholarship or maybe they don't even go to college. If you withdraw funds out of a 529 plan and don't use them the right way for educational expenses, you're going to be subject to income tax and a 10% penalty. So a lot of parents end up not using all the money in their 529 plans, and then they're stuck with that account, can't really use it, except for other kids that might go to college, or they have to wait until they're 59 and a half years young. But there are some interesting planning opportunities with 529 plans. Very simply stated, the SECURE Act 2.0 will allow you to use unused 529 plans, and you can roll them over to a Roth IRA. 
as long as that 529 plan has been open for 15 years or longer, you're able to roll as much as $35,000 out of your old 529 plan and get it into a Roth IRA. So this is another great opportunity to explain to grandma and grandpa that they can save for college for their grandkids. But if the grandkid doesn't use some of that money, they can roll as much as $35,000 into a Roth IRA. This means thirty-five dollars will not have those negative 529 plan consequences if they don't use it. This is another really cool tool you can use to encourage savings. So, I mean, here's the thing. What if you put that money into a Roth IRA holding a fixed index annuity for little Johnny? Now little Johnny is uh, out of college, little big Johnny now. And it, now instead of that 529 plan getting you know locked up for 40 years, you can roll that into a Roth IRA. And now he's got guaranteed lifetime income in his retirement that's tax-free. Beautiful, beautiful picture there. One last takeaway. Remember, non-direct recognition, participating whole life insurance contracts can be used to shelter money from financial aid formulas, like the FAFSA forms and so forth that most colleges ask for. And it can provide access to capital without counting against you. As you borrow against the policy, there's a nice offset that occurs because the money is doing more than one thing at once. Your policy continues to grow uninterrupted and you have access to the money to help send the kid to college. Now, once they're out of school, the kid can pay mom and dad back if you want them to. And that gives you guys a double benefit. One, it's money that you can now use again in your retirement. Or two, it's their legacy, the kid's inheritance, since this is life insurance after all. So what a great way to keep wealth in the family rather than letting it leak out to Sally Mae or Nelnet or, you know, even other banksters and federal loans and so forth. This allows you to continue to grow your wealth within the family for generations to come. So thank you, Dave and Joe, for coming on the show today and giving us such great insights and ideas. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. If you're still listening, I know you're interested in college planning strategies. So reach out to Dave and Joe, and get started on this adventure of a lifetime. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.